Open up your Bibles to John chapter 4, verse 23. We look at the subject of true worshipers. True worshipers. And it's something to consider. Are we in fact true worshipers? Do we know the Lord Jesus Christ as we ought? In John chapter 4, verse 23, and that's the only text that we have um, to expound upon. We're going to chase a lot of things, but this is our text, just one verse. But the hour cometh and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. The hour is, and the method is, is essentially what this verse establishes, and it established it 2,000 years ago. This is the hour in which this is the only true method in which to worship God, in both spirit and in truth. It's a precious conversation that we see here between Jesus and the woman at the well. One, according to verse 4, that must needs happen. It had to happen according to the will of God. Jesus had to be there in the heat of the day to have this discussion. And Jesus offered over mercy to this woman from the eternal well of grace, which was himself. And it is the only well. If we were a thirst in a dry land and there was only one well, we would run to it. We have to understand that that is our situation. He caused for her to see the truth of her own sin, the truth of his own self. And only when we are enabled to do that and believe can we truly worship. Our, our points are pretty simple today. It's just literally uh, examples for which we are to consider some true worshipers. The first is the leper who was cleansed. And this is over in Luke 17. Verses 11 through 19, and we did teach on this recently, so it should sound somewhat familiar. And all of these examples, uh, honestly, uh, except for the last one, come out of what we've already seen through the Lord's ministry. It's kind of been a footnote in the back of my mind of something that that we should double back to. Uh, And I wish I could say that's intentional, but as we've said in that study, it's not exhaustive. It's simply putting things in chronological order. There's a lot of lessons to come out of some of those events that we Uh, didn't take the time to deal with. But this leper who was cleansed, and there were 10 total, we read about this in Luke 17, verses 11 through 19. And we'll read that text, and then we'll just have a couple brief statements to make. And it came to pass, as he went to Jerusalem, Jesus, that Jesus passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. As he entered into a a certain village, there met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So far, it's a level playing field. It's not ten men and women. It's ten men. And it's not ten people. Some are sick and some are not. There are ten men and all ten are lepers. And we're not told who says, have mercy on us, Master, Jesus. We're told they said it. So there's no discrepancy There's no idea of one of the ten working harder than any of the rest or only five desiring to be healed and the other five not. When we talked through this, we talked about the the despicable nature of leprosy. So we understand that all would have required a healing. And when Jesus saw them, he said unto them, Go show yourselves unto the priests. We talked recently of of, of an entry in 2 Kings in which uh, Naaman... 
I believe it was Naaman, was requiring a healing of leprosy. And he goes on to Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come out. He doesn't even see Elisha, but he tells him what to do. And he is offended. How does he not come out and talk to me? How does he not speak to me directly? How does he not give me some grandiose healing? How does he not come out and call down from the Lord God himself a healing for me, but tells me to go wash in a filthy river? I could wash in cleaner waters back home, he says. Well, Jesus here, when he saw them, sent them to show themselves unto the priests. And he's simply honoring that which God had told them to do. If, there's, if leprosy, if the pox had been revealed, that is what they were to do. Because the priest was charged with the inspection of the lepers and with the continued inspection of the lepers. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, one of the ten, it's the simplest math we're going to find, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his feet, giving him thanks. If you mark your Bibles, you might underline from turned back all the way to giving him thanks because it's very important to this one man's story. He turned back and with a loud voice he glorified God. He didn't care who heard Probably the same loud voice that had to cry out, unclean, unclean, whenever others came around him. He says with a loud voice, God be praised, I'm healed. God be praised, I am made new again. And he fell down on his face at Christ's feet. Not just any man, but this one. And gave him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, were, were there not ten cleansed? Again, he's not speaking in ignorance. He, he knows how many. He's bringing attention to it. He's also bringing attention to the disciples around him and this one. Where are the other nine? In, in a sense, whenever we see the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus or God the Father in Genesis 3, whenever we see them asking questions and we know them to be trice omni, or thrice omni, not trice, thrice omni, we understand they're not asking a question they need an answer to. They're saying, give attention to this fact. More than this one was healed. Give attention to this fact. Where are the other nine now? He's also saying, preach this, preacher. Consider this, preach it. There are not found that return to give glory to God save this stranger. And that's significant, this phrase, this stranger, because again, when we look at the beginning of this event in verse 11, there's ten men, all ten lepers, all ten requiring a healing. There's nothing significant about this one that would have been revealed by the naked eye except that he returned. And he gave thanks to the Lord God. And Jesus says here, he sets him apart now. He makes a difference. He says unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. He's twice healed. Now he's spiritually healed. This one of the ten saw his need to reverence the one who made his healing possible, and he was made whole. This one truly worships God the Father. The, others, the other nine, let's say they're faithful to what God told them to do. And they, they go to the priest and they show themselves and the priest says, you're healed, you're not a leper. The priest was probably like, it doesn't even look like you were ever a leper. This is amazing, you're healed. And let's say, that's the nine, some of them, maybe all of them say, well, there's this man from Galilee out in the wilderness that we ran across and he healed us. 
And let's say they do everything they can to convince the priest that they were made whole by this one. It's not likely because it's not in the text, but let's say that they did. That's not worship. Remember when we've studied through Genesis that those brothers made a confession of a lot of things to Joseph's servant. And we said, that's not a picture of true repentance. That's a confession indeed, but it's not repentance. Beloved, we don't have behind these curtains, there's not a divided booth in which I sit on one side and you sit on the other and give confession to me and I expunge you of your sins and maybe give you a penance for fun. That's not how it works. Repent before God Himself. He's the only one who can pardon. He's the only one who can forgive. And He is the only one for which you can truly worship. Our second example is the blind man that was healed. Turn over to John chapter 9. John chapter 9. We've we've mentioned this one recently. Uh, It is one of my favorite healings, but it is a heartbreaking event. For this, for in my mind, for, for the Lord's ministry, is one of the most heartbreaking things that occurs. John chapter 9, verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. This is an interesting turn of events because if we read the entire chapter here, uh, especially with, in, in hindsight of the study that we've been doing, we usually read the Pharisees brought unto Jesus, but here we read the Jews brought unto the Pharisees, one that Jesus had already healed. Now this isn't Jesus trying to trap them, but he is revealing a, a great deal in this chapter for us uh, and for his disciples. This one has already been healed. This is the one that, in this one verse is already summarized, that the Lord made clay and opened his eyes. And then we read, then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Remember we talked a few weeks back about an examination, further examination. And we talked about the meaning of the wording. What an examination would have been was like what Pot, uh, uh, Pot, Pilate did to Jesus. That involved a cat and nine's tails, and it involved a scourging, and it involved a, a whipping, and it involved humiliation. That was an examination. We talked about the fact that we as Christians are not required to publicly and fully examine over and over and over again to the point of embarrassment other individuals. And here we have another example. These who now see this man in seeing are now going to examine him. Not in a physical abuse type way, but they're going to uh, give him a lot of questions. He said unto them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and do see. This is the miracle. This is exactly what happened. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. And this is the short assessment they made of the healing that he just summarized in six or seven words. This man's not of God. And the guy's going to say it in a minute, which I love. But this blind man who can now see, I imagine had to kind of look around at everybody. Is this a joke? I was never able to really get some of those jokes before. I couldn't see your facial reactions, but I can now. And I, I couldn't see before, and now I can. And your, your uh, conclusion is that this man's not of God? Who is he then? Who is this one who could give me sight? And I had that sight my entire life. Who is he if he's not God? Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? You see, the crowd is also 
Um, again, a very, very interesting text because the crowd is doing exactly what the Pharisees had always hoped the crowd would do when they tried to trap Jesus. When they brought ones in to try and get him in a snare, they were hopeful the crowd would say, how could this be God? How, how, and, and to scoff. But instead, here we see the crowd scoff and say, well, if he's not of God, if he's a sinner, how is he doing these miracles? And there was division among them. They say unto the blind man again, Why sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that received sight. Again, we've got to break in here. This is the natural conclusion for man. Well, if that's not God, and we know it can't be because he broke the traditions of man, he broke our religious system, it can't be God, then this man can't be blind. Couldn't be that he was ever blind. He must be mistaken that he was ever blind. I mean, that should be our response. It's happening in 2024. It's happening in our society as well. Amen. But that's the conclusion. Well, then he must have been wrong about being blind. He must have been hard of seeing. <laughs> And they asked him, or, and they asked them, saying, is, is this your son, who you say was born blind? This is the examination. This is the investigation. How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. The fear of being thrown out of the synagogue has affected these parents. Their response is, he is of age. Ask him, he shall speak for himself. Amen. He just got disowned. Heartbreaking. This man who had been blind his whole life, none of us in here have ever experienced that. We don't know how hard a life that would be. And now that his sight's been returned, and this should be the most joyous occasion in his entire life thus far. So far he's been ridiculed by religion and disowned by his own parents. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he'd be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. But one thing I know, this is the basic assessment of what has happened to him this day, one thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Amen. You could almost hear the crowds as we read it. Oh, I'm getting real loud. He's going to push us again? Yeah, he was blind and he sees now. He's going to push you again because this is a fact. This is the absolute truth of what happened. Something occurred in which spit and mud were mixed and his sight had been returned. And he's on the hot seat to explain how this happened. He says, I don't know what else to tell you. I was blind and now I see. Then said they to him again, what did he to thee? How opened he his eyes? Or how opened he thine eyes? Now, if Christ were asking these questions, there, there would be something for us to give attention to. The Pharisees are asking these questions this time. He answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. 
And we know from John 3 they couldn't hear because it is a spiritual truth. He says, wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> Can you imagine how that went over? <laughs> then they reviled him and said, thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God, and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast born in sins, and dost thou teach us? He indeed, he's preaching a sermon. He is illuminating unto them what we should all do as witnesses of Christ, that if he wasn't of God, he couldn't have done anything. Your concern is the time of day and the day of the week. His concern was my blindness. You don't seem alarmed by that at all. I can see. And they cast him out. That's all the world can do. Surely you were wrong about your blindness. Get out. Denominational institution practice is what we're seeing here already. And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? I think it's absolutely beautiful that we see that Jesus is not far off. Some might read this and say, how despicable that Jesus allowed for this man to go through it. Jesus knew exactly how much strength this man had. He gave it to him. He knew exactly the words that were put into his mouth. He knew exactly how this was going to go. Jesus sent him into the synagogue. Jesus performed a miracle and walked it right through the door and allowed that miracle to preach unto them how indeed it was that God should be worshipped. And they cast him out. Remember shortly, not long ago, we talked about how they, uh, how they attempted to hide or, or, or make worship exclusive. So successful were they that even they didn't worship God. He says, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Again, Jesus knows. But he's bringing attention for this man to the fact that he believes on the Son of God. He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. Now some might say, Well, Jesus reveals himself here. Look at those words carefully. He does not say, It was he who spit in mud and put it on your eyes and healed you. He simply said, This is what I look like. You've heard my voice. You've experienced a change. He doesn't explain away here, I'm the guy. My social security number is such and such and such and such. Here's my identification. I'm the one that did the miracle. I'm the reason you got thrown out. The blind man already knows all that. He says, I'm him. That's all he had to say. Because the blind man that was now able to see was ready to worship. And Jesus is standing before him. He says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth, says the once blind man. And though he could now see, 
We note that he did not stop looking. What's he say to Jesus? Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? This man already knows enough that he's not in the synagogue. I was just there. He's not my mommy and daddy. They cast me out. Who is he, Lord? Who is this one that loves me, truly loves me? Who is he, Lord, that I might worship him, that I might give him reverence? Who is he, Lord, that healed me of leprosy, that I might give him thanks and bow down in obeisance unto him? What we've seen in just two points is that true worshipers understand there's only one source from which a miracle occurred in their life. It is deserving of worship. Our third example is the disciples who followed. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And we know this text, I understand. But listen to the words carefully. An advantage we have over text that we know is we can start seeing phrases for what they are. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, so already we've got eleven who are faithful. And listen. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Oh, the events that preceded this moment. There's more than just 11 there. But think of just these 11. Think of the events that they had gone through. In what's about to be part 8 of our study of the Lord's ministry, we'll spend a ton more time on it. But the things that had happened in just that, uh, just a few days, Thomas has had proof buried before him, come hither, touch the wounds, the sisters bearing witness, he is alive, he's not in the tomb, he's been removed, the stone rolled away and he's not in there anymore. The disciple whom Jesus loved observing the cross from its foot, John, this is Mary, your mother. Mary, this is John, your son. John, the only one we're told who's at the foot of the cross, who's seeing and loving on his Savior as he does the most important work ever performed on the face of this planet. Simon Peter, following from afar off, that happened before this too. Do you love me, Simon Barjona? Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Simon Barjona? Feed my sheep. And for these a great commission. Go because of the power entrusted in me. And teach all nations that I have taught you. He gave this commission to those who truly worshipped him. He did not proclaim from the top of that mountain that all who claim to be a church... All who want to follow when it's easy. All who really like the idea of being a Christian. No, they worship first. That's how it is in our text. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And they saw him because they went to the place that was appointed unto them to go. They were faithful and they followed. And it wasn't a group of 11, two being Lutheran, one being Catholic, a couple of Methodists, a Jew, and who knows what else. 
It was Christ's church. And they were faithful. Today, beloved, we have those who say they're faithful and won't drive down the road. But they went to a mountain that was appointed unto them by a dead man that now lives. And they received the power of Christ. And they received the commission. Go ye therefore. He didn't tell them your life will never be the same. They already learned that. Remember Luke 13 through Luke 17, how to be a disciple? That was where they learned their life would never be the same. It was confirmed at the foot of the cross for John. It was confirmed by a campfire side for Simon Peter. Feed my sheep. He didn't tell them here, nothing will ever be the same. They already knew it. They were already there. And they were worshiping him. We live in a time where we can pretend that everything is worship. It's not. Genesis 22 is worship. Jesus says, give me Isaac. And Abraham acts the entire day. Early in the morning, he acts the entire day as though Isaac is as good as dead. God wants him. They had been permitted to see so much. But what was of the most value to them was that they saw themselves as sinners. None of them said, I don't need to go to that mountain at the appointed time. I already have as much as I need to be a Christian. Nope, they went. We need more and more and more and more of Jesus. In Acts 1.8, they're there when he ascends into heaven. Or with the preceding verses, 1.8 is the powerful promise, but the preceding verses, they're there in Acts 1, seeing Jesus ascend up. Remember the messengers show up and wife, what are you doing here? What are you looking at? He'll return again. Go do the work that he just told you to do. But they didn't at any point say, I've got enough. I don't need any more of that. These are true worshipers. They can't get enough of Christ. Our fourth and final point. Revelation chapter 5. We're going to read the entire chapter. This chapter ends with worshipers. And we need to understand how it got there. Revelation chapter 5. Our revelator, Apostle John, writes, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. Written on both sides. That's important. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Already we know it has to be opened. This book has to be opened. Everything is dependent. Even the angels are awaiting the opening of this book. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. Listen to the reaction of that truth. And John wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto John, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, a root of David, hath prevailed to open this book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. 
You ever wonder where your prayers go? And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And has made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. John says, And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Remember back in John 4, that Jesus said true worshipers, or true worship. Uh, remember what he said true worship was to that woman? True worship was in spirit and in truth. He proclaims in that one verse that we use as our text that this is the time and this is how. John fourteen six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The word book here in Revelation 5, verse 1, it refers to a scroll. Bound books did not exist in those days. And remember, though these are events that are revealed unto John, and likely future events because it hasn't happened yet in our time, it's revealed in a way in which John can understand. He's describing using words from his vocabulary what it is that he is seeing. Those scrolls were made of rushes that grew along the rivers and were very costly. And this particular scroll is Christ's title deed to creation. So all of creation is his. A Roman, uh, a Roman will was sealed with seven seals, and this scroll is the will or the testament giving Christ the right to claim creation by virtue of his sacrifices. Verse 9, a will could be opened only by the heir, and Christ is the heir of all things, according to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. The fact that this scroll is written on both sides shows that nothing more can be added to it. It is complete. The destiny of the sinful world is determined. To understand this scene, we must consider the Hebrew system of owning land. If a man, and it's beautiful, again, the Sunday school references Ruth, if a man became poor and had to sell his land or himself, he could be redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. Just like what we see in Ruth. Mm. This redeemer had to be a near relative who was willing and able to purchase the property and to set the kinsman free. All of creation had been under bondage to sin, Satan, and death. But now in this text, we see Christ, our kinsman redeemer, going to set creation free. Some might say, whoa, 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 preacher, a will and testament can't be read until one dies. He did. He's not in there anymore. 
He's not in the tomb. He rose again, praise God. But he qualifies for the reading of the will. Secondly, the lion, verse 5, takes us back to Genesis 49, verses 8 through 10, and it speaks of Christ's royalty and the family of David as well. The root of David speaks of his deity, the one through whom David came. Isaiah 11, verse 1 and verse 10. Christ is worthy to open the book because he has prevailed, which means he has overcome. If you know the book of Revelation, you understand overcome is a very important topic. Revelation 2 7, 2.11, 2.17, 2.26, etc., etc. It also means conqueror. Revelation 6.2. It also is reference to one who's won the victory. Revelation 15.2. In Revelation 17.14, These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords, and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. You ever wonder why so often you hear the preacher say, Lord of lords and King of kings, it's not to gain the applause or all the amens of the men. It is by this title which we call him victor. We call him conqueror and overcomer. Because as it's written here, it is for he is Lord of lords and king of kings. It's been established. It's been won. He is victor. God makes it clear that only Christ can redeem. It's very similar to what the blind man said. To those Pharisees, you asked me how I could be here and healed. All I know is that I was once blind and made whole. Once blind and now able to see. This man is the victor over the ailment that I was stuck with my entire life. I couldn't solve it. You couldn't solve it. My parents couldn't solve it. And you've all turned me out now. But this one who made me whole has also taken me in. This one who is strong enough divine enough to claim that victory. It's also claimed me. That's what the blind man says there. He also claimed me. You threw me out. He claimed me. He can conquer my blindness, conquer that leprosy, and yet he's meek enough to say, come hither. Come unto me. Draw nigh. As we've seen in Genesis. No saint in glory, no person on earth, no soul in the underworld of death could take that book and open it. None. And all in that same chapter are caused to worship him. No one was worthy. It also says in that text that there won't be prior a black Jesus to save black people, an Indian Jesus to save Indian people, a Japanese, Asian Jesus to save Asian people. Every tribe, every tongue, every nationality, one way, one truth, one life. Amen. That's in the Bible. We just read it. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. John was sharing in the groaning of Romans 8, verses 22 through 23. The angel dried his tears and said, Look yonder, it's Christ Jesus. He will open up the seals. He will open up the will and testament. He has won the victory. He's claimed us. What if on that day, he comes out in all his regalia, in all his sovereignty, in all his majesty, 
you very much. Takes the seal, takes the book, uh, the book with the seven seals written on both sides. Then lights it on fire and says, none deserve paradise. All are sinners. All are fallen. All are wicked. All are depraved. None of you can be as holy as I am, and that is what is required to get to the Father. All shall perish everlastingly. Well, that would be horrible, of course, but that's what we deserve. That is the exact level of humiliation we deserve. Depart from me, I never knew any of you. Not even a, a remnant. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You serve your father. The father of lies. The murderer from the beginning. But instead, he says, they're mine. I've claimed them. I've redeemed them. The broken with nowhere else to go will continue to drift when physically healed. The nine lepers did. The healed will still be scoffed at and humiliated by the world, just like that healed blind man was. It's not a kindness that we want to say out loud. But they weren't just shunning him out because he was blind before. He's now whole. He's now a member of society with great health. And they still shun him out. It's not about black and white, nerd or jock. It's about the same truth. He heals on purpose. For a purpose. Every single time. He made that blind man a preacher. Marched him right back into the synagogue. You know, in just about every other healing, Jesus speaks for that event. But in this one... The blind man does. Look to the Lord Jesus and be ye saved. If you are here and saved, truly worship him with all of yourselves. Remember your most broken moments and rejoice. Don't live there. Don't dwell there. What is the point of being healed if you're still kept captive to what it was you were healed from? Like the blind man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. The eleven disciples, Lord, we believe. And they followed and went to the appointed place and appointed time and worshipped him. Let us go and do likewise, beloved. A great work has been done and it was not done in vain. Let us be found as faithful servants, taking the message unto the highways and the hedges, pleading with deserters, Pleading with the rebels. Oh, they don't deserve it. They've made a choice to leave and depart. No, plead with them. As Spurgeon said, that they should have to climb over our, our, our efforts in order to reach that destination of hell. We have no one for which we can say they don't deserve the gospel. Because none deserve the gospel less than we did. Keep that perspective, beloved. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the blessing on the food as well because I know the ladies will probably rush ahead of us. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, watching, however it is that you're here with us. We have precious little time left. May we be found faithful. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you once more for the opportunity to preach and teach your word. We're thankful for these men, for these households that I've given this day.
over to the worshiping of you. We ask, Father, that we be zealous of properly defining what worship means. That we truly understand that, yes, it does require a sacrifice. It does mean that we won't be able to tailgate for the championship football games today like everybody else. It does mean that we don't get to live like the world. It does mean that we can't party and be excessive with all the other reaches of life because there's work to be done. But it also means that if this were the end today, if we were to part from this uh, living frame, that we would dwell forever, even this day, in paradise with thee. We understand there's a greater value in what you did for us than what we can do for ourselves. Help us, Father, to see these broken individuals of the Bible. And there's so many more than what we were able to cover today in which the scripture says they truly worshiped you. Help us to study. Help us to understand and labor. How is it that they worshiped? From, from what place, from, in what capacity were they able to worship? Help us to see it's not of great wealth. It's not of great mind or power. It is even of the most humble that can't even lift up their brow to simply smite their chest and say, be merciful unto me, a sinner. We know that is the starting point. Help us, Father, as we take the gospel out to the world, as we point to this little building and say, this is where we go. Let it be more than just a place that we have frequented. Let it be every lively stone in the pew that we're referencing. There, the church. That's where I go to be fed with my brethren. There, the church. God died for them on the cross and rose again. That that silly group of people could come together and laugh and cry together and pray for one another, give up their homes for one another. In Christ's name. Help us, Father, be with the, the remaining uh, things of this day, if it be your will. We ask, Lord, that you bless the food that has been prepared for this day uh, and bless the fellowship that we'll partake in there as well. Be with the afternoon message. Be with the, uh, the traveling back home. We think of the Wyckoffs who will be heading back home and, and also those who will be heading to Caldwell later this week. We ask, Father, that you reveal of your will that which we can handle, that which we can achieve with your mercy and with your strength. Be with the uh, outreach for the boys' home as we linger closer and closer to the opportunity to begin, Father. Give us that zeal once more to go in and make a difference in these boys' lives by just simply revealing Christ in our words, in our mannerisms, in our life. Help us to grow in this experience as we know that it's not just for those boys. Help our church, Father, those who aren't participating or can't participate, to be in much prayer for what it is that those who are going will endure. Be with the ladies, Father, as uh, there's a few things they've been talking about doing with uh, potential pregnancy centers and things of that nature, Father. We just pray that you also would close any doors there and open the opportunities that you would have for us to go into. Be with the individual prayer requests. We know there are many. Be with our mission, Father, as uh, we know there are some health concerns there, but be with them that they would long for more of what you would have for them that they would not be content, but that they would require 
the fullness of the offer that you made unto them when they became a mission work there in Holden. Send a man, Father, to Caldwell, to Holden, a man that understands his place in the scheme of things but is also not ashamed of you and is unafraid to lead by your will, a man who has given himself over to much study, a man who is humble, a man who can feed them. And Lord, we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.